Welcome to the Go To Thrive Podcast, the place to inspire people in the workplace and go to thrive. Mary Jane Roy and Vivian Aqua want to make happiness the new norm and offer solutions to create higher engagement in the workplace. Our Go To Thrive Podcast guest today is David Allen. David is the author of five books, including his bestseller, Getting Things Done, whose methodology is being taught in 80 countries. He's considered a leading authority in the fields of organizational and personal activity. Welcome, David. Hi, guys. Hello. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, we're we're happy to have you, David. Can you tell our audience um, something about who you are, um, why you do what you do? Well, uh, I've spent the last 35 years researching uh, how to get things done with as little effort and stress as possible. Uh, I'm probably the laziest guy you ever met, and I'm hardly a type A personality. I'm not a OCD. I'm not very left brain. I happen to love to live life spontaneously and intuitively. That's why I came up with the getting things done methodology, and so he gave me the freedom to do that. So that's more kind of who I am and, and what I am as I began to un- uncover these techniques for myself first. Um, I, I've always loved freedom in my head and a clear space. And as my life got more complex in my own little consulting practice, I discovered it sort of screwed up clear space you know, pretty fast. So I got very hungry to find out ways to keep myself clear so I could focus on the meaningful stuff. So I found techniques for myself, turned around and used it with my clients and produced the same results, more clarity, more focus, more stability, and so forth. So that became a, a, a key part of my coaching and consulting with, uh, with my clients. And then um, head of human resources for a big corporation saw what I was doing and he said, gee, David, we need that in our whole, in our whole company. Can you design a training around what you've come up with that we can reach a lot of people instead of one at a time? So I spent a couple of months with uh, the OD team uh, in, this was Lockheed, 1983-84 and uh, designed a two-day personal productivity training. We did a pilot program for a thousand executives and managers over 1983 and 84, and it worked. And I found myself thrust into the corporate training world. Who'd have thought? You know, come on, in 1968, I was a, a, an American cultural history major at the University of California, Berkeley. Wow. If you had told me then that I was going to be in the corporate training world, I'd have said, well, what are you smoking? Come on. Who are you kidding? <laughs> So I, and I, so I found myself thrust into that world. And then for the last 30 years, I've spent thousands of hours still one-on-one, uh, you know, desk side with some of the best and whitest executives you've ever met with this methodology, implementing it with them. And hundreds of thousands of people have gone through trainings of what me and my staff you know, are doing. And now, you know, essentially, I've, I've, in order to scale this methodology, which was a decision we made about 15 years ago, uh, we've now been... We've now partnered uh, with people around the world who are actually better than us at, at both sort of the marketing and distribution of this methodology. And so um, really we've sort of shrunk ourselves to an IP distribution or an IP creation and IP monitoring uh, company. But it's fabulous. We've got great partners all over the world. If you were at the summit, you probably met some of them. Uh, and, and, you know, so that's, that's kind of a, a short version of a very long story. <laughs> we love we love long story but then i get a bit curious because i have a son of five years old when is the best time to apply getting things done 
as soon as it, can he understand, hey, how would you like the day or the party or the or Christmas time to go? Mm. And what would you like to have true? And well, gee, it's, we don't have that yet. What do you think we need to do? As soon mm. as he can have that conversation, have it. Yeah. You'll be teaching him outcome and action thinking, which is, you know, not something we're born doing, interestingly enough. It's actually something, it's a cognitive muscle you actually need to train and learn. I know I've spent thousands of hours with some of the best and brightest people walking them through outcome and action thinking. You know, I, I guess if people did it naturally, I'd have to find another job. And, and David, then you make me, it, I'm going to freewheel here. Uh, mm -hmm. It leads me to, to think about something that Spencer Hanlon shared uh, on the panel uh, that we did about a common lexicon within the getting things done methodology uh, and how this enhances communication um, amongst employees, but also even what you're sharing with Vivian, with her son, so interpersonally. Um, can you, can you, can you explore that a little bit more? Uh, I'm, I'm curious about how, how this can affect the, the relationships in the workplace. Well, if, um, if no meeting started without getting a clear piece of data about what exactly is our desired result to accomplish by what time, and no conversation ends without people going, if the conversation ends and people are saying, well, excuse me, what did we just decide? What's the next step and who's doing it? Those can change your culture. We've seen it. So the, the, you know, how, how many meetings go on with no outcome clarified in terms of what they're trying to do? How many conversations go on and people leave the meeting and go, what did we just decide? Who's doing what? Hope it's not me. You know, and talk about a huge waste of exhaust of, of you know, that's the opposite of thriving in the workplace is that just the lack of that conversation and the lack of that focus. So, you know, outcome and action thinking are a core piece of the methodology I came up with. Uh, and, you know, you could just take anybody, take anybody's to-do list. And what you won't see are outcomes and actions are very seldom when you see it. Uh, so there's a lot of clarity that's still needed in the conversations and in the dialogue and in the lexicon of the organizations. So, Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And so that's something that uh, I definitely want to explore more of because I, I'm convinced that poor communication is one of the, if not the most significant cause of stress in the workplace or it distress is. in the workplace. Yeah, it so is. Um, there's, there's, there's something here that needs to be further explored for sure. Vivian. Well, I, I would add to that, Mary Jane. I would add that, that one of the greatest sources of stress is the lack of agreement keeping and you know clarity about what the agreement is you know what you decide what did i decide what's your job what's my job is that yours is that mine so uh, and even if you're communicating if you're not communicating with that kind of clarity uh then you know you've got this sort of implicit uh, culture of broken agreements or unclear agreements oh. and that'll create huge amount of stress interesting thanks david yeah what is one of your favorite quotes and why does it resonate with you? I've got, I've got a million favorite quotes, but you know, because, because you guys have been focused on happiness, one of my favorite quotes is from Patch Adams. Yes. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I think the most revolutionary, how does he say, most revolutionary act you can commit in our society today is to be happy. Yeah. So, so you guys are fomenting re revolution out there, so I hope you realize that. 
Thank you. Well, you know, I've said it, I've said it before, and and I'll say it again here. I mean, a few years back, I would have thought the phrase "happiness at work" was an oxymoron. I mean, they, they just didn't belong together, you know. Yeah. And and now, of course, with all the research that's out there, we we realize, um, yeah, just how significant, how important, uh, and not and again, it's not that hedonistic uh, happiness that the rah rah. A cheering kind of thing. It's uh, it's really about the purpose, the meaning, uh, the impact that you're making, and that you're allowed to make. So no, David, perfect. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I think happiness, the kind of rah rah kind, is highly highly overrated. Uh, by the way, a great book I just read recently. If you haven't read it yet, I highly highly recommend it. It's called The Antidote. Oh no, haven't. It's haven't? it's, it's uh, happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. It's absolutely fabulous. My wife kept laughing out loud as she was reading the book. <laughs> really? Okay. It's really, it's really more about, you know, as opposed to the kind of rah-rah, always think positive, but never have any negative thoughts, you know, always be optimistic. And it's a whole lot about the, the acceptance factor of reality and then moving forward with that as opposed to resisting, you know, reality. It goes into a lot of, a lot of ways, you know, that that happens. So I'm totally in agreement with that. But, you know, I really like the word satisfaction. It's, I feel really satisfied. And I think that would probably map to what you're talking about in terms of thriving and being happy and having, you know, feeling fulfilled by the work that you're doing. Not necessarily giddy, tee ha ha, but more, exactly. of a sense of, more of a sense of solidity and stability and, and balance in terms of you know, the work that you're doing and meaning, meaning in it. So, yeah. We're singing off the same song. I, I believe so. I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> and David, you've been doing, because you just mentioned this work since, I guess, the, the early 80s. I did the history thing on your, on your website, you know, to go back about how you've got it all timelined out. And you've seen a lot of changes in this time. What's one thing that you continue to see happening in organizations, and maybe you've just mentioned it earlier, but um, that prevents them from becoming thriving workplaces? Well, you know, there are probably quite a number of factors, but if you, you know, if I would say what, what, what most comes to mind is that the, what we just talked about, the kind of a lack of clarity, lack of clarity about roles, yeah. the lack of clarity and accountability, lack of responsibility, people's ability to respond. And, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the world is fine. Just look out there, it's not overwhelmed, it's not confused. It's only how we are engaged with that world that creates the sense of overwhelming stress. And so it's the, still the same issue that everybody's got out there called, am I appropriately engaged with it? What's changed though, uh, is that the speed of change is speeding up and you can't rest on your laurels very long and you're gonna have to reconfigure, renegotiate, relook recalibrate and refocus much more rapidly than ever before. And so it's causing an, you know, a, probably an additional stress and a feeling of overwhelm simply because the world is, is changing so fast. I mean, I don't know, your parents, my parents probably didn't have to shift gears, you know, maybe every few years they had some major transition that they had to you know, engage or deal with. You know, you know, our world is changing while we're speaking. <laughs> We're going to get off this podcast and check our email and go, oh my God, that changed my priorities because whole afternoon based upon what, what goes on. So I think that, that it's always been true that you need to make sure that you're, you're clear about what you're doing. It's just that once you take the time to do that, <laughs> the world has now changed again. 
So I think that's why you know my methodology is, has picked up speed because it, it you know it's been true since knowledge work started. As soon as you had any choice about making different things to do, you know another you know another wonderful quote, and I'll I'll probably misquote it. It's like the hard, working hard is not hard. What's hard is ch making choices and, and decisions about the work. The late great Peter Drucker would tell everybody that your biggest work is trying to define what your work actually is, and so that's the that's the kind of mystery that's happened out there. And it's been true from you know from the time people had to make choices and decide as opposed to just living in survival mode. Then, uh, so that that's that's always been there. But I think it's sped up how many people now are being thrust into that world where things are not clear very long. And you got to keep working to keep them clear. So, um, David, what do you think about all these digital challenges, like the mobile, like the tablet, which is claiming our focus or which is distracting our focus from doing the task that is at hand? Well, it's, it's kind of like, is a knife a good thing? Depends on how you're using it. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, it's a great time to be alive out there. You know, I love all that, all the gear, all the what you know, we're able to talk to anybody around the world like this mm -hmm. at any time. And, but if you don't know what you're doing, it, it's, in, it's you know, increasing the potential insanity for sure, because it's so easy to be dis distracted, it's so easy to be addicted to that kind of distraction. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it can very easily throw people off, off their game. One of your quotes I've read is creativity, innovation, strategic thinking, and simply being present don't require time. They require space. Can you share with our listeners what you mean by space and why this is so important? Sure. Well, space just means I've got room in my head to focus on what I want to focus on, the way I want to focus on it, as opposed to being distracted. So clear space, you, you know, if you're conscious, you're always thinking about something. But when you're cooking spaghetti, cook spaghetti, you know. Uh, don't be worried about the meeting that you just had or the meeting that's coming up. You need to be present. I mean, how much time does it, does it take to have a good idea? Zero. How much time does it take to be creative or to be innovative or to be strategic or to be loving and present? Those do not require time, but they do require you to be present essentially with whatever it is that you're doing and having clear space so that you have room to have good ideas. You have room to you know, be present, spend time, you know, doing the things that are meaningful to you. So that's what I mean by space is creating that space. I mean, if you if you if you're taking work to hold in your mind or home to work in your mind, you're not really present either place. It's going to be very hard to be thriving in, in any kind of environment you're there if you've got those kinds of distractions going on. So, you know, a lot of what I've researched and then have implemented with my methodology is what's the algorithm, what's the formula about how do you get stuff off your mind without having to finish it? So, you know, in a way, that comes down to a lot of the practicality of the GTD, of the getting things done methodology. You know, stop using your head as an office. <laughs> it's a noisy place and it's a terrible office. You know, it wasn't designed to do that. That's a good thing. And it's also preventing stress and burnout and so much more things that I can think about. So thank you for sharing this. Uh, David, you uh, you mentioned at some point, I, I've, I've read it or heard you say it, something about how many thoughts can we hold at one time? Yeah, well, 
the, the new cognitive research basically has uh, validated the fact that, that your brain in its evolution, the number of things that you could hold just in your head, that that's the only place they're there, and be able to remember them, be reminded of them, prioritize them, and manage the relationship between them is four. Yeah. So they, they used to think that short-term memory you could hold seven things plus or minus two, but now it's four. <laughs> Maybe that's after WhatsApp and iPads, who knows? You know, but uh, you know, that your brain evolved to do very sophisticated stuff. It uses long-term memory and pattern recognition to then recognize, oh, that's a chair, that's a computer, that's a cup, that's a, that's a clock, as opposed to just, gee, those are vibrations of light and sound. So it allows us to make meaning out of our world in the present. Uh, but it is terrible for trying to you know, you know, plan, organize, manage stuff with just in your head. Uh, it just, you just can't do it very well. Yeah. There, there, most people have a lot more than four things on their mind. <laughs> you got that right. You got that right. And David, I know you've already shared one aspect of this, but can you, can you give us three ways of how the GT methodology helps individuals and organizations to thrive? What, if you had to pick three from, from the, the many there are? Well, I, I think clarity is, is you know, probably the, the main thing it, yeah. that, that, it, that it produces. Clarity for the individual, clarity in terms of communication, clarity in terms of agreements. So I think that's the, that's, that's the, um, you know, you don't have to like uh, uh, stuff to, you don't have to like your life to actually get it off your mind. <laughs> you don't even have to like necessarily the work that you're doing to not be distressed or disturbed by it. There may be a good reason to be involved in what you're doing, but you, you just need that clarity. So I think that's the main thing. And, and the way that happens is to, you know, notice what has your attention or what has the tension that, you, that you're experiencing and what would you need to do to relieve that? And very often, you know, what that means is, gee, uh, I've got this problem with us. Well, what's the desired outcome? And what's your next action? So outcome and action thinking, as we've mentioned before, is just such a key element to creating clarity, you know, in organizations. And I think that if, if you just get that, uh, then, you got to, you're going a long way to you know, creating a thriving organization. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Cool. Uh, David, you are in your early seventies now. What is your recipe for still going strong and for still thriving? Well, um, you know, I think I, first of all, as we say, you know, in, at least in the U S the phrase, I eat my own dog food. I practice what I preach. <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, I have a, a high, um, I have very low tolerance for distraction, and I have very low tolerance for uncaptured, unclarified, unorganized things. Mm -hmm. I like to stay nice and clear. You know, I, I, I think, you know, being steady and well-ordered in your life, I think Flaubert said a hundred years ago plus, you know, be steady and, and well-ordered in your, in your life and work so that you can be, you know, outrageous and spontaneous and you know, in your expression. So I think that's probably a lot of, you know, I, I don't, I maintain a, a clean, um, a minimal backlog of things. I pay a lot of attention to what has my attention and do what I need to do to resolve that and get back to a clear head. And, you know, it, it always helps to, you know, eat well and to meditate and to, 
you know, get a little exercise and to spend time with, you know, nice, fun people doing fun things. So, you know, that, that it's the kind of simplicity of life, I suppose. And, you know, the, the finding the elegance in the ordinary, maybe that's, you know, one of my keys. I have a, another question because you started doing getting things done on your own in the beginning. What did your uh, wife think of it in the beginning and now? Well, my wife met me doing a seminar. Of, you mm. know, I was, she, she was working in an organization that everybody in the, in the organization needed to go to my seminars. So she met me in a seminar, uh, boy, 35 years ago, I guess, probably, or 30 years ago anyway. Uh, and she and I were actually married to different people at the time, uh, happily so. But, you know, life changes and things go on. And then she wound up actually coming out and working uh, for my small uh, consulting and training company. And then, you know, she was divorced and I was divorced. And she asked me out to dinner and scared scared the pants off me. <laughs> oh, my God. And, uh, you know, because she's a beautiful lady. And uh, we've been friends for you know, a long time. But we We've now been married for, golly, uh, coming up this 28 years now. And uh, people often ask me, what's Catherine's system? I have no idea. I just know where her in-basket is and she knows where mine is. That's all we need to know. Yeah. So she's been, she's been doing this work. She actually trained a lot of our coaches and she's been you know, involved with, in the business with me and in the, the methodology and both training it you know, uh, with lots of people over all these years. So, you know, we kind of live and breathe it. It's, it's so, it's one of those things that, that once you do like appropriate breathing, you don't even think that you're breathing. You know, so we don't, we don't even really think about it because it's just so, of course you, 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 you do, that, do this stuff, you know, why not? But uh, yeah, so that's her, that's her take on it. It's part of your DNA, isn't it, both of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's why we were attracted to it. Yeah. Uh, to begin with, we both like freedom. We both like uh, clarity. And being present. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the best way to begin. David, predictions for the future of organizational development. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to handle it, but as you guys probably know, it's becoming, uh, you know, it's a global world. It's a virtual world. And you're going to have much more decentralized uh, organizations than than we've ever seen before. Uh, you know, you're going to be subcontracting a whole lot more. A whole lot more people are going to be managing themselves and their own uh, life and work and then participating in organizations as needed. And you've already seen that trend. And technology is, as I'm sure you know, Vivian, is, is still racing forward that's making all that possible, you know, for people to then live in, golly, anywhere and you know, maintain uh, their, their, their work and their lifestyle. So you know, learning to deal with a workforce that's virtual and distributed and decentralized like that um, is, it's a big challenge. So that, uh, I'm not sure how organizations are, are themselves going to change, though you know, if you look around, uh, you know, organizations that aren't nimble, that haven't changed that way are, are, are you know, um, dinosaurs. Look at GE. Yeah. Yeah. Look at look at any any of those things that, that were you know top of the top of the heap not long ago, uh, but technology and decentralization has just undermined a whole lot of those organizations. So dealing with that is, I think, you know, what the future is going to hold for 
the organizations I know anyway. It's interesting, David, because uh, the son of a friend of mine, he's in his late 20s now, uh, he, two years ago, he, he quit the, the job that he had to start for himself. He said, I just, I can't handle, uh, he said, I feel like a speedboat that is spin, circling, racing around this tanker that is just slowly, slowly, slowly moving. And I, I can't, I can't be creative in that environment. So, um, and that's the, the dinosaur that you're talking about, isn't it really? Yeah, it is. I, I would say another factor, how fast it's going to happen, I don't know, but I do know it's happening and it, it, it wasn't there, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, except in very isolated instances. And that's the self-organizing organizations where, you know, you know, as you, as you guys probably heard and know, you know, I've been doing holacracy for the last eight years. And, you know, we don't have job titles. We just have roles and accountabilities. And that, that sort of decentralization and the lack of hierarchy, the lack of a management hierarchy, where people are sort of mutually holding themselves accountable for roles that they have and not needing somebody to look over their shoulder uh, and you know, micromanage them at all. And so that's, it's challenging because the workforce, quite frankly, People want to be told what to do and show up and then leave and not have not have to have that accountability or responsibility. But someone like you just mentioned, you know, you're, going to, you're going to find a lot more people like that. They're going to be more attracted to the kind of organizations that that are not being run with the old hierarchical management style. Yeah, I agree. I truly agree. And, and, and really, oh, sorry, Vivian. Yeah. I just want to mention this one thing that that what comes back uh, in in so many of our conversations that we've had, David, with different people is how important, so I think the workforce is already changed in how much autonomy is desired, you know, the <coughs> ability to be making their own choices, to, um, to, to have that flexibility um, and to be trusted with that uh, flexibility as well. So- I, Absolutely, and that's why also I think getting things done is so important for organizations because people are, need to have high level of self-management skills because there's not enough levels of management to hold everybody's hand and people. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of managers or, or executives are kind of paying a little bit of lip service and mm -hmm. they're still going to find it hard to give up their power. But it, it's also true that, that a lot of them are burning out because they, they have, they don't trust their workforce uh, to be able to, to, uh, you know, handle stuff and, and, and to take on those kinds of responsibilities. That's a good word you're using, trust. Yeah, okay. definitely. And going on back to the following the next question, what is your vision for creating a sustainable, thriving workplace? Well, I think it's a lot of what I've just been talking about, which is uh, making sure that everybody in the workplace uh, is clear and has the, the skills to keep themselves intact and to make sure that they don't, you know, let things lie fallow too long, that they, the changes they want to make either for themselves or with themselves or with their work or with their job or with their companies, and that people, you know, can be trusted, let's use that word again, uh, to be trusted to, to handle their own accountabilities. When people don't manage themselves very well, you have to have more meetings, and bad meetings mean bad emails, which mean bad meetings, which mean bad, bad emails. You know, and this is this vicious, uh, you know, sinkhole of, of lack of clarity. 
so, you know, the more that, that as we've been talking about, the more uh, the accountability for outcome thinking and action thinking. Those are the zeros and ones of productivity. What are we trying to accomplish and how do we allocate or reallocate our resources to make them happen? Yep. And so that thought process uh, is really the future. Uh, and so however you embed or install that thought process, I mean, one simple way to do it is just by getting things done by book and give it to everybody in the company. <laughs> then, then, then nobody has any excuses. It's not have the, the tools that they need, you know, to make sure that they manage that clarity. But again, we've seen whole cultures change for the better, uh, the more you have, especially key people that start to catch this methodology and that kind of thinking. And a lot of it is just being reminded of what they already sort of do intuitively. But what I did was make it a lot more objective so that you could actually have a defined methodology that you could train, teach, coach, communicate with people, you know, within it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. And David, as we wrap up on, on this uh, podcast session, is there any question that you've thought of that you'd like to ask Vivian and I? Well, I could just turn it around and ask you all the same questions you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> no, I know that's not fair. Well, maybe that's another podcast that we'll do. I'll interview you guys. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Uh, no, I, I guess I would say, what, what's, what do you see as the bright light out there? What, what inspires you guys the most uh, in terms of both the work you're doing and what you see going on in the world. Mary Jane, you first? Sure. I think for me, David, it, it's the, the, I'll go back to the, to the phrase, the happiness at work, that I'm seeing a, a, a continuous and growing movement towards get, gaining a better understanding. And even, for example, here in the Netherlands, that um, a number of municipalities, you know, the, where we think they are so stuck in what they're doing, but they're actually embracing the concept of we've got to have more engaged, more motivated, healthier, happier employees in the workforce. So even though it's a slow progress, it is progress. And I see that as, as really as yeah, one of the main shining lights that, that keeps me motivated and passionate about what I do. Cool. Really? For me, the key ingredient when I become happy is when I enter the company, their, their workspace, and feel that they, are, that they really get it, that they really are doing their best to create a thriving workplace. And there are a few companies that I've been to, uh, companies such as McCall, an IT company, which invites you to come into that, uh, their, their workspace and you can feel the energy. They have a lot of plants, a lot of daylight, a lot of things that, uh, where people can recharge, but also can be themselves. I think in the workplace, there are so many workplaces, so many uh, businesses where people put on their mask. And I want to demask them. I want to see companies that are unmasking uh, their employees to bring in their whole selves at the workplace. Embracing their whole yes. selves. Huh? Yes, yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, all of those get my vote. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, David. And David, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing um, these valuable tips, helping employees become more productive, less stressed, um, and therefore to thrive better in their personal, professional lives. Yay. Thank you for the invitation to talk. Mm -hmm. And to the listeners, if you have any questions or comments regarding this episode, please share them with us on LinkedIn. And thank you for listening until the next time. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Go to Thrive Podcasts. Empower people to be happy before, during, and after work.